Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. I'm, I'm inserting this right here. Um, you'll get the, the full spiel as to what time it is and all that stuff here in a second. But this is just in, and I'm, I'm doing this sort of after I've recorded the majority of the show. So I'm doing this up front uh, here because I can finally announce, thank God has been killing me. I can finally announce that there's going to be a competition uh or that we've we've thrown a gauntlet to the Ethereum guys as far as well actually they they threw the gauntlet to us and we answered with the whole run the numbers gig but now it's taken on a little bit of a life of its own apparently I I started something so let me just read you this from Samson Mo um, <clears throat> he wrote about eight minutes ago it's seven oh seven a.m. yeah I'm doing it early you'll you'll figure that out here in a second. He says, during our What Bitcoin Did chat, Vitalik Buterin, you agreed to check the Ethereum supply at a, at a designated block height in the future. Bitcoin users will run the numbers at block 650,000, which will be somewhere around September the 23rd. Ethereum users can pick a block or time ideally close to that. I expect this will be the largest synchronized audit of the Bitcoin monetary supply from all types of nodes around the world. Blockstream satellite users too, right? Not Grubles? Full nodes assemble. And then he's got a couple of people like uh, Adam Back is in there, stopping to crypt, uh, Lop. Uh, he's like basically announcing it to a few people. Bitcoiners will also be able to use this handy script from Bashco. And then he gives a GitHub repository address so that you can go get this neat little script that Bashko's been writing. And if you haven't seen Bashko on Twitter, it's because he's had his nose knee deep into the shit of coding and scripting and doing all kinds of neat stuff. I I have found him and finally found Bashko in, in other places. I hadn't really seen him on Twitter in, in quite a while and was wondering where he got off to. I, I found Bashko. He's alive and well, and he's got this script. So go, go run it. Um, it's again, this is Samson Mo. This is, I think he's the, he's the CSO of Blockstream. I think that's the, that's his title CSO. Um, in, in either event, this is going to be a thing, right? So block 650,000, I think I've mentioned that in a couple of, uh, episodes past is going to be a deal. We're all going to audit the damn chain. We're all going to come up with the exact same number. And once and for all, we're going to put this fucking thing to bed. Ethereum, you do not know your total supply. You will never know how much supply you're ever going to have. You've never been able to audit your supply, which means that anybody who's done anything on the Ethereum blockchain, any ERC-20 token that's been spun up, anything, you do not know your supply. Okay? you. I mean, if you think you know your supply, if you can say, well, I can run a script and prove it, unless 
unless you query the entire damn system, you don't know and you're never going to know. All right, so your ICO from 2017 that you've got a bag of that you're like really proud of and it's going to be the next Bitcoin, it's not. Okay, that DeFi token that you're holding that's going to make you rich and you sunk your family's home by you know putting a fourth mortgage on it or something like that, it's not. It's not going to make you rich. You're going to live under a bridge because the cows are going to come home. And if you don't know what I mean, wait for the rest of the show and you'll you'll figure it out anyway. So it's on. Bitcoin versus Ethereum at block 650,000. That's going to be sometime around September the 23rd. Again, that's going to be sometime around September the 23rd. And at Bashco underscore has a nifty little script that he's written to do some funky things. And I'll have to, I'll have to actually look at what the script is, but I suspect that it's an ability to audit multiple nodes at once by one singular user. So should be fun. Enjoy the rest of the show. It is 5.51 (laughs) a.m. Not shitting you, man. I'm recording this at before 6 a.m. my time, which is Central Daylight Time. It's the 25th of August, 2020. This is episode 276 of Bitcoin. And I have to ask the question, what exactly is a museum piece? Is it the Rhystone or the bank that the Rhystone is sitting at? That's what's going on here with a tweet that I, I put out. Like, I don't know, it was like Sunday or maybe even Friday. I can't remember. Doesn't matter. Uh, but there is a Rhystone at the Bank of Canada Currency Museum in Ottawa. If you don't know what a rhystone is, uh, that's spelled R-A-I. It's a great big piece of limestone, with a, and it's round, and it's thick, and it's got a hole in the middle of it, and they weigh hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, probably, I don't know, maybe even a ton. It's a big-ass chunk of limestone, okay? It's, it's not small. And they were used for money on the island of Yap, the Yapanese people from 500 AD to roughly around 1850 AD, mined and used these stones as hard currency on their island, and the Bank of Ottawa stole their money. Okay, well, I I get the fact that rye stones haven't been used as money by the Japanese people for centuries, but still, it just seemed fitting that a bank would go to some far-flung island from God knows where and steal what used to be money and put it into a museum. And, and and again, I have to ask the question, you know, what's the museum piece here? Is it the stone or is it the museum or, or is it the bank? <laughs> because we are fast approaching a time when banks seem to be losing relevance. Like every, I mean, they're, they're losing, they're leaking relevancy like a sieve. And it's, if I were them, I'd be I'd be very concerned because this shit is accelerating so fast from the Bitcoin space that uh, you know banks I don't know they're gonna find themselves like out of a job like really really quick if they ain't careful. I'm not sure exactly what relevance they'll ever have after all this is said and done, but surely they'll retain some kind of relevance. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> last for the uh, opening statements here, we just got this one from uh, S G Barber. He's that dude that uses waste gas up there in the Canadas, Canadias, 
to uh, power Bitcoin miners. Um, and he anyway he he released or he retweeted this from Wu Blockchain. Uh, it says exclusive China's Inner Mongolia suddenly issued a policy on the twenty fourth requiring the cancellation of preferential electricity prices for the crypto mining. <laughs> the crypto mining. <laughs> which will increase the overall electricity price by about one-third. Miners are worried uh, about Xinjiang that Xinjiang will follow. So Inner Mongolia basically just put the kibosh on crypto mining. Oh, God, I hate the thought of it uh, saying those words. But uh, it is important because, as S.G. Barber puts it, discrimination against Bitcoin miners has only just begun. Industrial mines on utility grids are sitting ducks, and he's he's 100% correct. If you're if you are dependent on a municipal or some kind of state-run, government-run, county-run grid, um, or your the you know part of the grid that is run by your local authorities or whatever, uh, they're going to be able to do shit like this, which is why it's really very very important to be able to get off grid. And do things like stranded energy capture. I just, I, I think it's, I've been thinking about, <clears throat> you know, growing up in the, in the Permian Basin when I was a kid. And just how much energy production there is out there and just how much waste gas just by itself, just natural gas, just how much waste that there, there really is. And despite the fact that over the last few weeks, as if you've been listening to the show, I've been reporting in the vital statistics that ga- natural gas is on a price tear. It just keeps going up and up and up. I, I don't know why. It's not like... I, it, it's either that new production is being shut down or you know maybe even older production is being shut down or somehow or another some pipelines that pipe natural gas from the oil field uh, to market has have shut down. I don't know. But something is raising the price of natural gas. We are now at like $2.50 per thousand cubic feet. I haven't seen prices like that in a long, 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 long time. But even then, <clears throat> it's still probably more profitable. If the numbers that I've heard is that on average, if you've got enough, if you've got enough mining and you're in a proper pool, then you're getting four bucks per uh, thousand cubic feet instead of at the time that I heard that number, it was like a buck thirty for a thousand cubic feet on the open market. So, uh, yeah, I mean, like three times, you know, almost four times as much uh, money for your natural gas, and you don't have to pipe it. So, mining out in the middle of freaking nowhere is going to become very, very popular. I suspect, especially if more and more shit like this starts to occur, because the last thing that China's mining uh, industry needed right now was a hit like this. And I'm not worried about Bitcoin itself, but the Chinese miners are worried about themselves because they already had so much flooding in Sichuan province because of all the monsoons and floods and all that kind of stuff that, you know, some, some miners have been wiped out because they just can't operate under the flooded conditions that they're in. So this becomes this, this capture of, waste gas, this capture of stranded energy anywhere that we can go find it, the the it it A is gonna make Bitcoin damn Bitcoin mining damn portable because there will be a need to make it light, uh small footprint, easily move, that kind of thing, and just be able to drop, you know, 
oh, let's say a couple of uh, a couple of storage containers on a site, and it doesn't matter what that site is, whether they're producing stranded natural gas or I don't know, taking advantage of uh, hydroelectric power, you know, just being able to drop this shit real close to where the stranded energy is is going to become very, very popular. That's, I think that's going to be a whole industry by itself is compact mining structures, cooling, that type of thing is going to be big, 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 especially, like I said, especially if people like China and entering Mongolia decide to continuously shoot themselves in the foot when it comes to mining because, well, honestly, I think this was a dumb move on Inner Mongolia's part, but what are you going to do? It's China. Welcome to the morning roundup. I've only had a cup of coffee this morning. It's 6 a.m. right now. I'm surprised that I'm actually functional. It's amazing. Let's get into this one from BTC Times. This is Joseph Young. He's writing this one for, well, well, I mean, he's writing it on August the 23rd. That would be a couple of days ago. Lightning Labs. Major LND upgrade enables bigger lightning channels. We're talking about Wumbo, baby. The Wumbo channels. I know it's the weirdest name. I don't know who the hell came up with it. I don't even know if it's actually what they should be calling it or what they call it internally, but somehow or another, Wumbo is a thing. Lightning Labs, a Bitcoin company backed by Twitter founder Jack Dorsey and Robinhood co-founder Vlad Tenev, released LND 0.11 beta on August the 20th. An upgrade to the Lightning Network daemon, <clears throat> or LND, that allows the operation of bigger Lightning channels. <clears throat> Since 2016, Lightning Labs, which recently raised a $10 million funding round, has been building software on top of the Bitcoin network. The firm describes LND as a complete implementation of a Lightning Network node. Through LND, users can execute various Lightning-related operations, including creating and closing Lightning channels. LND is one of the three open source projects spearheaded by Lightning Labs alongside Loop and Neutrino. The Lightning Network is a second layer scaling technology on top of the Bitcoin blockchain that enables users to send and receive payments instantaneously with near zero fees. Be careful with this. We went, I'm just going to pause right there for any, any newbies. That near zero fee shit. I'm not saying that it's not true. I'm just saying that it got us into serious, serious trouble from the outset when the early adopters of Bitcoin started talking about what Bitcoin could do and what it could offer. And the whole point that I'm trying to make here is that they had the exact same narrative, especially people like Roger Ver. Cheap, fast, anonymous, and all of that was bullshit. I love Bitcoin. I'm not, I'm not harshing on it, but you, you got to take it for what it actually is. It is not cheap. It is not fast and it's not anonymous. It was never any one of those three things. Now we are getting better at anonymity, but it's still a pain in the ass. Okay. Uh, as far as on-chain, as far as on-chain transactions are concerned, you will never get faster than 10 minutes. If you do, it's a hard fork and I'm not going to support it. Okay. And then three fees. <clears throat> fees have always been high. It's relative. It, it was always relative to what, <clears throat> what you were comparing Bitcoin to. And what I mean by that is that 
there was always like several Satoshis per byte transaction fees. When Satoshis were worth less than one ten millionth of a cent, nobody gave a shit, right? Because it's a few one ten millionths of a cent. Of course it looks cheap. Of course it looks nearly free. It's not, and it never was. Because when that same amount of Satoshis that it cost to send a transaction way back in the day is to cost the same amount of Satoshis, now that those Satoshis are, are, have appreciated considerably, now you're looking at a $4 fee instead of a four-penny fee. The amount of Satoshis used to make the transaction has never changed. Well, I mean, it, it fluctuates clearly because when the network is slow, it's cheaper in the, in, insofar as how many Satoshis it uses. But <clears throat> the only thing that's changed is, our, is the fact that we just we seem to not be able to compare this shit to anything but the freaking U.S. dollar. And until that fucking day happens that we can compare Bitcoin to something other than some kind of bullshit fiat, then we're always going to have this problem. But I just warn and, and, and just caution everybody about the, when people start saying near zero fees. We've been through this before and it did not help us out. So my suggestion is stop talking about near zero fees from now on. Continuing, conceptually, a lightning channel operates like a cryptographically guaranteed tab at a restaurant or bar at which a customer can order multiple items over time, which are paid when the customer decides to close the tab. Users can open a lightning channel with other users to send and receive transactions off of the Bitcoin main chain, thereby skipping on-chain fees. Only when the user opens or closes a channel, they pay a one-time fee to miners on the Bitcoin network. Until now, lightning channels on the LND framework were limited to a size of 0.167 BTC. To ensure the safety of large-scale Lightning channels, Lightning Labs has been running extensive tests over the past two years. On August the 20th, former Google manager and Lightning Labs developer Brian Vu confirmed the launch of LND 0.11 Beta. The update removes the existing 0.167 BTC constraints on Lightning channels, allowing LND users to operate bigger channels, dubbed Wumbo channels. Vu explained the upgrade's background in a blog post, quote, to keep your funds safu, that's another word for safe for anybody who's coming in. Lightning channel sizes were limited to a maximum of 0.167 BTC. After two years of hard work and extensive testing from the community, we have reached a point where we feel comfortable removing these constraints for those who want larger channels. With this release of LND version 0.11 beta, we now support Wumbo channels over the limit of 0.167 BTC, end quote. Vu noted that the Lightning Network has grown significantly since 2018. The continuous tests on the network and the increasing adoption of LND led the team to enable Wumbo channels, taking a, quote, major step. Two years later, as the network has grown, matured, and been tested much more extensively, these limits have become less relevant for advanced users. A number of large routing nodes, merchants, and service providers have, having already removed them from LND by forking the code. Damn, that's I didn't realize. The lifting of payment limits will make the Lightning Network more flexible and efficient for users and businesses. Vu stated. So Wumbo is here, and I, I, I mean, my, I guess my question is, well, is is there an upper limit at this point? 
I mean, they removed what would have been the, you know, what was clearly the upper limit until now. But is, I mean, can I open up a 100 BTC Wumbo channel on the Lightning Network? I wouldn't do that. (laughs) I wouldn't recommend it. I'm just saying, is there an upper limit? And that particular piece did not say anything as to whether or not there was an upper limit or not. But anyway, I find it, I find this good news. Again, caution. Cheap, fast, anonymous. Be very careful using those terms if you're trying to tell somebody else about Bitcoin. Because all three of those have come back to bite us in the ass and we're still having to sift through the garbage that was left over by the early adopters of Bitcoin who used those three things. It is not cheap. It is not anonymous. And it is not fast. Although Lightning is pretty damn fast. But you're still dependent on closing the channels after all is said and done. And you're like, you know, you feel comfortable saying, you know what, there's enough in this channel and I I really got to close this out. You're going to you're going to be interacting with the main chain. All right, this is a this is a protocol that sits on top of the main chain. It is not actually Bitcoin. Well, it actually is Bitcoin, but it 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 there's connection points between this protocol and the underlying protocol that is Bitcoin. But just I'm saying, be careful with the whole cheap, free, anonymous, fast thing because it causes problems but not like this one istanbul or constantinople inside turkey's bitcoins bull market august the 24th coindesk lee kuhn writing this one (coughs) turkish bitcoin users are already waist deep in a bull run as partially illustrated by growing exchange volume btc turk ceo ozgar guneri head of the largest crypto exchange in Istanbul, with the most Turkish banking access of any exchange in the region, said volumes roughly quadrupled over the past year, attracting roughly 100,000 active monthly users by July 2020 out of nearly 1 million accounts. Quote, August might be the highest volume ever and the highest level of registrations in any month this year, he said. This also correlates to the volatility in prices. Whatever the cause, the relationship between economic crises and crypto exchange activity in Turkey appears to have changed. According to data analyzed by Coindesk Research, BTC Turk volumes in September of 2018 and June 2019 actually came at times when the Turkish lira was getting stronger rather than times of peak inflation. However, this pattern flipped with the COVID-19 crisis that hit Turkey especially hard in April. Since then... Exchange volumes uh, surges have roughly coincided with talks of a renewed lira crisis. Oh, yay. So far, BTC Turk has dominated the Turkish market, growing faster than many other compliant exchange platforms in the Middle East. Guneri said the best way to market Bitcoin is still by using mass media. They sponsor mainstream cultural institutions such as the national Turkish soccer team to spread brand awareness and advertise through mass media broadcasts as well. Quote, the second layer is the educational layer. We've been investing in educational TV programs, Guneri said, referring both to YouTube programs and traditional TV shows the exchange sponsors. Beyond mainstream media advertising, BTC Turk is sponsoring a Bitcoin-focused podcast and Cryptometer, a YouTube talk show with Turkish celebrities currently filming its third season. Quote, we believe trust is still the main area that we have to invest. 
to cooperate with large brands and institutions, Guneri said the DNA of the average Turkish person is inclined towards hard assets. Good times, bad times, doesn't matter. Bitcoin is now a real alternative for some people because it's the new generation of hard assets. So there you go. There's going to be a few people in Turkey that escape what is to come. There's, and what is to come is not going to be just limited to Turkey, by the way. It's going to be everywhere and it's going to suck. I mean, in a way, this needs to happen. There's always a situation that comes up in world history where a purging, as it is, is required. But, um, you know, you hope you don't live through it. You hope you're not the one that actually sees it. But if you're listening to me now, you're you're going to see it. Oh, God. Sharu Malwa is writing this one for Decrypt.co. Arrested Hong Kong billionaire's newspaper turns to Bitcoin. Popular city tabloid Apple Daily took out a front-page Bitcoin ad after its founder was arrested earlier this month by authorities. Yeah. Okay. So I, 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 I let me, let me, before I continue, let me just kind of like couch why I'm reading older news. I had all this set up to go yesterday and then homeschool, well, not homeschooling, but, uh, online virtual learning, uh, occurred with my children. That thing is just, ugh, it's such a disaster. It's so terrible. It's so awful, man. I had to actually just go and get him a pro, you know, get my, at least my son, a prodigy account so that he could understand and have a, a place where he could practice some, you know, arithmetic problems and subtraction problems and how to, you know, tell time, that kind of shit. Yeah. I had to actually go reach out to a third party. It's getting so bad that I just, I'm really trying to figure out how this is going to move forward anyway. So all this that I bring you today, was supposed to be brought to you yesterday, but it wasn't. So I don't know what to tell you other than I'm sorry. Weeks after Jimmy Lai, the outspoken China critic and founder of Hong Kong tabloid Apple Daily was arrested and later released on bail by authorities in Hong Kong as part of the ongoing tussle over a controversial security law, his paper delivered a political statement involving Bitcoin. Quote, Bitcoin will never ditch you, said the full page ad on the front page of Apple Daily. It further added in Cantonese, Banks, it's not you ditching me today, it's me ditching you. <laughs> nice. <laughs> front page, too. You don't see that very often. I mean, a front page, that's where you... And I'm looking at a stack of these newspapers right now in a picture, and it really is. It's the front page. It's not the inside. It's not like you turn the front page, you know, turn the page, and then it's like right there. No, no, no. It's like as this shit is sitting on newsstands, all you see is the Bitcoin symbol. It's a, it's amazing because that means piles of these were sent out and they're just everywhere. So everybody walking around the town when they were, even if they didn't read the newspaper, they were going to see Bitcoin everywhere. It's like they're like little billboards. It's amazing. <clears throat> Lai's arrest earlier this month came as a shock for his political observers. His stance on pro-democracy in his paper with a daily online readership of 500,000 people found massive supporters who vowed to fight on after his arrest. The ad took aim at the city banks, which, as per earlier reports, are clamping down on customers supporting Hong Kong independence. It wrote, quote, Nobody can stop you from transacting on the network, and it cannot be shut down. Bitcoin is available to anyone regardless of their gender identity, or beliefs. The ad went on. Bitcoin began with the Genesis block in 2009. 
Now its time is coming. This kind of, this kind of like a looming thing right there, lie, dude. I, well done, sir. Unrest in Hong Kong over the national security law, which would see Hong Kong citizens lose their rights and come under the strict legislation of Chinese if imposed, has been ongoing for a year. Until Lai's arrest earlier this month, only students and protesters have been arrested by local police. His arrest served as a new reality for Hong Kongers that no one, not even the city's famed billionaires, would be spared if they criticized China publicly, and Lai got caught up in that. For some... Lai is the poster child of the Hong Kong success story. Born to a middle-class family in nearby Guangzhou, he, became to, he came to the city on a rundown boat at the age of 12, worked as a laborer in a clothing factory, and worked his way to founding national or international brand Giordano and then influential publication Apple Daily. As of press time, he is worth $1.2 billion. For a city battling censorship and the ill effects of government sanctions, it's not surprising that some are finding respite in Bitcoin. Yeah, wait till the capital outflows occur, which actually are occurring, but we'll get into that later, I think. <clears throat> this Bitcoin whale sold at 12,000 BTC price after hodling for two years. A Bitcoin whale who accumulated 9,000 Bitcoin in late 2018 has sold after 22 months and two capitulation phases. Joseph Young Pinning this one for a coin telegraph on the 23rd. A Bitcoin whale, uh, an individual investor who holds large amounts of BTC, took profit after two years. Data from Whale Maps suggests the whale purchased nearly 9,000 BTC in the third quarter of 2018. A pseudonymous trader known as Byzantine General who shared the data said, <clears throat> quote, This whale is a legend. See that big bubble around 6K in 2018? That's almost 9,000 BTC that was accumulated there. He finally took profit after two years and two capitulation events. End quote. The whale held on to the BTC for nearly 22 months. Still weak hands, bro. Weak fins, man. Through two major capitulation phases, Bitcoin dropped to sub 4,000 level twice. First in January of 2019 and second in March of 2020. The investor waited through both periods, ultimately selling at around $12,000. <clears throat> On August the 16th, Cointelegraph reported the large whale uh, or that large whale clusters are present in the $12,000 to $14,000 range. At the $12,000 level, many whales are either in profit or at break even, which arguably could give whales an incentive to sell. Whether it shows whales are curious or cautious that Bitcoin has hit a local peak remains unclear. Whales, due to the sheer size of their holdings, follow liquidity if they feel that there is sufficient liquidity set to sell possibly as a result of rising retail action, then they are likely to sell. Hence, a whale sell-off does not necessarily show that Bitcoin has peaked. One could argue that it raises the chances of consolidation in the short term. But until BTC drops below key support levels, it is premature to suggest a local top is formed. Also, it is difficult to estimate how much of the 9,000 BTC the whale sold. The reason some whales are taking profit at current levels might be Bitcoin's relatively high spot volume. According to another pseudonymous trader known as Bitcoin Jack, the, the market remains awkwardly driven by the spot market. He says, quote, market remains awkwardly spot driven for now. Market remains relatively high on-chain dominance. Price expansion is therefore imminent again. Direction unclear, but low derivatives versus spot and spot exchange versus on-chain dominance indicates 
we have not seen an irrational top. When the market is heavily driven up by the derivatives market, whales have less liquidity to seek. And minor pullbacks could cause large price movements. In the short term, traders remain mixed on the sentiment around Bitcoin. Michael Van de Pop, a full-time trader at the Amsterdam Stock Exchange and Cointelegraph market analyst, says BTC could drop to as low as $10,000 if it loses 11450 He said, quote, Pretty easy going here as there's a rejection at 11,600. If we hold 11,450 to the 11,500 area, I think we'll have a breakout towards 12K in the coming week, losing the green zone, and I'm targeting 10,700 or even 10K. Following a nearly threefold increase in price, a consolidation phase in the near term could strengthen the momentum of Bitcoin in the longer term. So, whale song. Yeah. And I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. There was probably a lot of people that were that had like big, great big bags of fiat to just you know throw around that did throw it around at peak times in the BTC price, and they are probably just like, yeah, you know, I want to go do something else. They're bored. I, I mean, you know, weak hands and weak fins show themselves in completely manifest themselves in completely different ways sometimes. Just selling is one way, but also becoming bored. I mean, like, because at one point or another, you know, most of us, not most of us, I can only speak for myself, I'm waiting for Bitcoin to become boring. That doesn't mean that I'll enjoy it, you know, like, I mean, that I'll enjoy the boredom and, well, you know, it won't be as fun to do things like this anymore. But I need people to just come to grips with the fact that at one point or another, Bitcoin's going to become boring and that's what you want means it's stable and it's not like you know it's not generating drama because the honestly the only way to generate drama is shit like massive price runs up massive price runs down peter schiff calling it a ponzi that kind of thing i'm so freaking done with all of this but another way that weak hands are shown is when they just want to get out and then i don't know go invest in real estate i mean not that that there's anything wrong with that but uh, Curve founder seizes 71% of Curve Dow voting power. Oh, let's get into this one. God, Daniel Phillips and Amy Castor writing it for Decrypt.co sometime on the 23rd. Uh, <laughs> the decentralized part of decentralized finance came into question today and every single day. For Curve, when founder and CEO Michael Agarov took over 71% of the voting power for the platform's DAO, that's Decentralized Autonomous Organization for those that may be new, an Ethereum-based DeFi liquidity pool and exchange platform, Curve lets holders of its CRV governance token lock up their tokens to obtain a separate voting token, VECRV, Holders could then use the V-curve, I think is what I'm going to pronounce it, V-E-C-R-V, V-curve, to vote on network proposals submitted through the Curve DAO. And those with a high enough V-curve can even submit their own proposals for consideration. However, since the tokens launched on August the 14th, only a small fraction of CRV holders have vote-locked their tokens, leaving a handful of addresses with large amounts of voting power. In fact... Ego Rav, or whatever his name is, told Decrypt that only 6.7% of the nearly 10 million CRV tokens currently in circulation are vote-locked right now, an indication of how few token holders are actually participating in the DAO. 
This made it fairly easy for an address controlled by yield aggregating platform Yearn.Finance, which runs a curved liquidity pool to obtain a significant uh, proportion of voting power, which was close to 58%. In an apparent move to counter this, Ergarov, who controls <clears throat> address, and then they give the, the address, and it's like OX9B36B029, extended a vote lock for a total of 621,860 curve tokens worth 1.7 million under a single address, netting him 618,568 V-curve, or 71% of the voting power. The longer a user locks up their tokens, the more voting power they have. He maxed out his vote time to four years. <clears throat> Maybe too much, he said. Oh, Igorov, who in the hours since holds about 60% of the voting power of the community, or as the community edges him out, has full control over the outcome of any pro- proposals submitted to the DAO. Ergarov said on Telegram that he ended up with majority voting power by trying to outweigh Yearn.Finance and that it was an overreaction. Quote, terribly sorry, let's fix that. I mean, I can abstain from voting, but better to fix it in a proper way. End quote. Oh, God. The stupid, man. Ergarov told Decrypt that he doesn't want to wield so much power. Yes, you do in hopes his voting power will decrease over time as the system becomes more decentralized. Quote, right now, looks like everyone else is trying to add some more voting power, which is the eventual intent, he said. Meanwhile, if Ergarov plans to hold back on voting, a promise at best, that also means nobody else's votes matters until the community resolves the issue or comes up with a more permanent fix, since they need a quorum of at least 33% to propose a change and above 50% to pass an update. Oh, God, it gets worse. Andre Kronji, founder of Urine.Finance, calculated that 150 million curve, more than 15x the current, current circulating supply, would need to be locked up for a week to achieve the V-curve required to reduce Ergarov's voting power to 50%. See how this is just bullshit? I'm just, what I'm describing as a Rube Goldberg machine is what I'm describing. It's like describing Ethereum to somebody, but this is so stupid. The Curve team is optimistic, of course you are, that the balance of power will even out in the days ahead. Quote, over the next few days, as governance kicks off and uh, vote boost is enabled, <clears throat> we expect to see large growth of vote locked VCR, VRC, or, I'm sorry, CRV to begin the process of decentralizing the Curve protocol, Charlie Watkins, project lead at Curve, told Decrypt, quote, vote locking on Curve has barely started. This should give our users, this should give a chance to our users to vote lock. Oh, God. Commenting on the fragility of on-chain governance, Kane Warwick, founder of synthetic asset creation platform Synthetics, be Believes, believes events like this are only going to get worse. You damn skippy, it will. DeFi TVL is going to drive all kinds of governance attacks, and most protocols are woefully unprepared, he tweeted, referring to the billions of dollars locked up in DeFi protocols. Warwick's protocol, Synthetics, last month devolved much responsibility to DAOs, so much for centralized or rather decentralized governance, for now at least. Shows you the stupidity. If dudes, I'm telling you, just because everybody is screaming and writing about DeFi, 
And I mean, I've got like, now I'm starting to get what I had considered credible people uh, talk, you know, now they're just all a flurry about DeFi. This ends poorly. It all ends poorly. There may be like a couple of companies that come out of this on the other end that have already, that had already had their feet firmly planted in the space, like, uh, like BlockFi or something like that that will probably survive all this. But most of you that are participating in DeFi on levels of like yams and yearn.finance, and now I've heard about freaking, what is it called? Yield ranching, I think is the term that I've put it. Because apparently this token called cow has come out for cowboy.finance, believe it or not. And they talk about rearing cows. I call it yield ranching. But just like yield farming, it's all bullshit. It's a Rube Goldberg machine that is designed to do one thing. Take your money. And it's gone. Let's get in and do some numbers. Considering that... Like an oil man or a thief, I'm up entirely too early to be able to hit the major markets because guess what? Wall Street is, they're not even thinking about getting up out of bed yet, right? I'm up. These guys, nah, man, they don't roll in till like 9.30 or some shit like that. Well, I guess they, they probably get there about 30 minutes early to, to do all their prep, but the bell doesn't ring until 9.30 Eastern time. So I can't, I can't tell you what the Dow is because it's, closed. Bitcoin, however, never closes. So let's let's talk about real numbers here. We have Bitcoin at a price of 11,646. Looks like I'm going to have a high over at BitAsset at 11,664 and I'm going to have a low. Nope, 11,646 is the low. 330,000 transactions were performed over the last 24 hours giving us average transactions per hour of about 14,000. Uh, 1.7 million BTC have been sent. Wow, that's a pretty high number. Um, 1.793 million BTC sent in the last 24 hours gives us about 75,000 BTC being sent on average per hour. Which, uh, and then of those, we have five and a half BTC as the ev- average transaction value, and the median transaction value is 0.043 BTC or about 500 bucks. Block times are at 10 minutes and 17 seconds. We have a half a BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis. And over the last 24 hours, about 81 BTC have been taken in fees. We have, uh, let's see, we have minus two and a half percent to the downside on hash rate, but we're still at 128.5 exahashes per second, which is pretty damn high. Ethereum is at 398, Bcash 287, Litecoin 61.2, BSV at 201, Ethereum Classic at $6.74, and Dogecoin holding it at 0.0034 at 53,680 transactions. It beats out Ethereum Classic, Litecoin, and of course Bcash, which has fallen precipitously since last week. We're there down to 16,000. 200 transactions for a 24-hour period. Although Roger Ver assures us that more merchants in the world take BCH than BTC. 
Of course, it shows with 16,000 transactions there, Roger. Clark Moody, this bitcoin.clarkmoody.com forward slash dashboard. A little announcement for Clark. He is he has put together a donation page which allows you to send him BTC on main chain reactions as well as lightning channel reactions or uh, reactions. Lightning channel transactions. However, when I tried to give him five bucks yesterday, the lightning invoice that was generated from his website gave me, or at least as far as, as LN Strike interpreted the invoice as a zero balance. Um, and so I, I made sure Clark knew that. Um, I'm sure Clark is working on it. I would love to help the guy out a little bit, even if only to the tune of $5, because the following, which is good information, is brought to you by Clark Moody. And I think, you know, he should get something for his trouble. He's got a price at 11620 He runs the numbers all the time. What do I mean by that? It means calculates the supply given a full node, and the full node that he's attached to tells us that the money supply for Bitcoin is 18,470,396.08 BTC. That's how much there is right now. And guess who can't do that? Any other chain, especially if they're on Ethereum. Because, well, Litecoin may actually, Litecoin is an implementation or is a fork of BTC code from the old days. It probably knows its, its supply. Ethereum does not. And that means that every single, every single coin or token or ERC20 or whatever protocol that they got going on, um, anything that was born out of that chain also has no freaking clue what their supply is. This is bad. Okay, it just is. You kind of need to know how much money's in your wallet before you go shopping. Okay, I'm just saying that it seems pretty simple, but the obfuscation from the Ethereum camp is is pretty blinding, man. It's amazing. There are 21,000 transactions waiting to clear in whatever mempool Clark Moody is looking at, and that's going to take 29 blocks to clear. The Lightning Network, we have, wow, 1,039 BTC, giving us $12.1 million in liquidity spread across 7,447 nodes, representing 37,343 channels. We have 503.85 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network, and that brings us to 48.5% wow, percentage of Tor capacity. That means that there are 2,337 Tor nodes. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the Morning Roundup. Daily HODL's Daily HODL staff is writing this for, well, the Daily HODL. Sorry, still early, still not enough coffee. What am I doing? It's 6.40 a.m. Give me a break, okay? Will quantum computers really destroy Bitcoin? A look at the future of crypto. According to quantum physicist Anastasia Marsha sorry, a quantum physicist is laying out the real-world impact of quantum computers on cryptography and cryptocurrency. In a YouTube video, a quantum scientist or a quantum physicist, Anastasia, her last name, shares her two cents about the race to break encryption technologies with quantum computers. Quote, Shores quantum algorithm can break RSA and elliptic curve cryptography, which is a problem because a lot of our data these days is encrypted with those two algorithms. 
quantum computers are not faster at everything. They're just faster at certain problems. And it just happens to be that this RSA and elliptic curve encryptions fall under that particular umbrella. But there are other encryption algorithms that are not affected by quantum computers, and we have to discover them and then actually implement them and put them into action before a large enough quantum computer actually emerges. Breaking cryptography requires a huge amount of qubits, something like 10 million qubits estimated, but it was one of the first discoveries of what practical application that quantum computers can actually do. Quantum computing harnesses quantum properties to actually factor numbers a lot faster and that's the whole core of the security behind RSA encryption. The consequences of this is that our data is not going to be secure anymore if we get a big enough quantum computer, so we're going to have to do something about it. Quantum computing has recently grabbed headlines as it poses a serious threat to cryptographic algorithms, which keeps cryptocurrencies and the Internet secure. Quantum computers have the capability to crack complex mathematical problems as qubits, or quantum bits can, can maintain a superimposition by being in two states at a given time. Meanwhile, Marchenkova, that's right, Marchenkova, doesn't think crypto holders must find a way to move their Bitcoin to a quantum secure wallet immediately, but she does believe anyone holding crypto should be concerned and keep tabs on the latest developments because blockchains will one day need to be upgraded to protect against the rise of quantum computing. Quote, yes, you should worry, but not anytime soon. You don't need to move your Bitcoin today to some other quantum secure wallet. But in general, how do we upgrade the blockchain? God, stop it. We can fork it <clears throat> and moving forward, everything will be fine, assuming we find a good quantum secure algorithm. But what are we going to do with all the old coins or the coins that have all their private keys lost? Are we just going to say, sorry, bye, this part of the chain will no longer be valid unless you move it? or re-encrypt it, or are we going to find new technology? She's got a good question there. I am not all that concerned about quantum like she is in the short term. It's going to take them a while, but it's not going to be impossible. You know, so uh, RSA uh, security or, or encryption is basically what most banks use. Just be aware of that. RSA is horrendously susceptible to quantum computing. SHA-256, not so much, but as she said, elliptic curve uh, encryption is, and that's sort of how our keys are, gen private keys are generated. So while you're not, while we're not worried about mining and rollbacks of the blockchain, we could have to worry about somebody just breaking everybody's elliptic curve, uh, elliptic curve uh, cryptography and everybody's keys just gets uh, swept. Now, like I said, it's not anything, I don't think, I, I mean, I'm certainly not going to worry about it today and I'm not going to worry about it tomorrow. But one of these days, I'm going to have to start thinking and, you know, it's, and she's got really good advice. You need to keep looking at where quantum computing is in relation to its uh, ability to crack stuff like elliptic curve uh, uh, encryption. Now, if we get Taproot, I think that might actually help because it no longer uses elliptic curve, but I may be completely wrong on that. We'll have to, uh, I'll have to seek out somebody to, to set me straight on that one. If you do know uh, about the Taproot and whether or not that means that we're going to be changing the way our addresses, uh, Bitcoin private keys are generated, let me know. Just My DMs are open, so you can yell at me there if you want. BitMEX grants 40K. Nice to developer of Bitcoin scalability project. 
uh, Liam Frost writing it for decrypt.co sometime yesterday. The one-year grant will help develop a protocol that shrinks the size of Bitcoin's unspent transaction outputs with no loss of security. Crypto exchange BitMEX's parent company, the 100X Group, Leverage, <laughs> they should just, they should literally have just called it The Leverage. I, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just research BitMEX and the ability to lose your money 100 times more than you normally would have because they allow 100X Leverage. Anyway, the group has awarded a one-year grant of $40,000 to, to the developer of Bitcoin Unspent Transaction Output Scalability Solution, U3XO. An unspent output transaction is created when someone sends a Bitcoin transaction. If they have two Bitcoin and want to send just one, then both coins are moved, one sent to the destination, and the other returned to the original person as a UTXO. It's just how Bitcoin works. Essentially, UTXOs are a pool of all currently spendable Bitcoin or user balances. Every Bitcoin node is required to maintain the current UTXO records to be able to validate new transactions and spend coins. While these records are much smaller than Bitcoin's full transaction history, taking up around 4 gigabytes of space instead of 300 gigabytes, their size may become a major scalability bottleneck in the future, according to a blog post. Developed by Calvin Kim, U3XO aims to preemptively solve this issue. U3XO is a hash-based accumulator, which allows unspent outputs to be compressed into a smaller size. There is no loss of security. Instead, the burden of keeping track of funds is shifted to the owner of those funds, the blog post explained. Quote, with U3XO, the holder of funds maintains a proof that the funds exist and provides the proof when spending the coins it added. U3XO compresses these proofs to under one kilobyte and provides a long-term scalability solution as their size grows, albeit very, very slowly, the announcement added. It's great that 100X is not only funding Bitcoin research and development, but also providing support for newcomers to the Bitcoin open source ecosystem, says Taj Dreija a digital currency initiative research scientist at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology who is credited with inventing U3XO. In June, BitMEX similarly announced a $100,000 grant to Bitcoin Core researcher and contributor Gleb Namenko. Well, there you go. <clears throat> Arthur Hayes, the owner of BitMEX, by the way, or CEO, I guess. I don't know if anybody owns anything anymore. Uh, he's, doing, he's doing the Lord's work here, man. I mean... And that's the thing that's funny about Arthur Hayes. I mean, he'll say he'll say stupid shit about some shit coin and he will list every shit coin under the sun. But then he'll he'll do this. He'll give Calvin Kim uh $40,000 to, you know, make sure that the guy doesn't starve while he's working his ass off for the rest of us. Keep that in mind. Daily Hodels, Daily Hodel staff writing this one. On August the 23rd, it's going to be talking about Davy Day Trader Global. Barstool's Dave Portnoy says he may pour $500,000 back into Bitcoin. And Chainlink vows to figure out what the fuck's going on. <laughs> Dave Portnoy is, is an interesting cat, man. Just be, be, be very careful when trying to figure out what this dude is doing here, okay? So let's, let's continue Barstool Sports founder Dave Portnoy is already having second thoughts about pulling out of the crypto markets. I don't think he actually did, but whatever. The entrepreneur turned day trader says he invested over a million dollars into Bitcoin and Chainlink and cashed out after losing less than 2% of his portfolio. Quote, just to clarify, I put in 1.25 million and lost 20,000. My money, 
was just better at work in the real stock market where I make six figures every day. <laughs> See, he doesn't make six figures every day. Right there should tell you who you're dealing with. You don't know who you're dealing with, okay? Just, I'm serious. Be very aware. Be very careful with this guy. Portnoy says his decision to immediately cut his losses should be an example to crypto traders. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, quote, yes, you crypto morons don't get it. I'm trying to educate you. You make great memes and I respect the simple way you live your lives, but losing any kind, losing of any kind is unacceptable. Six figure days are bust end quote. But despite a bad first impression, Portnoy said he's already thinking about jumping back. If only for the memes, although he's sold his crypto positions, Portnoy says the money is still sitting in the crypto exchange Gemini, and he plans to study the markets and crack the code. <laughs> Quote, I have to retrench for Bitcoin and figure out what the fuck's going on before I sit there and lose a million and a half bucks like I did in the stock market when I was down two million before I turned it around into plus two and a half. But that took work, effort, every ounce of concentration in my entire philosophy, whatever the fuck that means. So I'm going to sit back and watch. I own the stock market, but it took me a while to get there. Bitcoin, I don't know what's going on. The Link Marines, I don't know if they're on my side or against me. They're like, join the submarines. I joined them, the Marines. I don't know what that meant. Was I a sacrificial lamb? Maybe. Were they on my side? Maybe. So I said, let me back up. Let me study it. I didn't take my money out of Gemini. It's still in there, but I'm going to study. I'd seriously be very, very careful with Dave Portnoy because it may very well be. It may very well be that. Uh, let's see. Hold on. I got to find it again. Oh, oh, I can't. Oh, dude, it's already gone. Whoa. Hold on. Uh, yeah, sorry about that. <clears throat> I was desperately trying to find this demotivational poster that somebody sent me. Uh, it says, uh, mistakes. It could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. Dave Portnoy, this could be you. I mean, the guy's rich as shit. I don't think for a second that he actually sold. Nobody knows what the hell this man's doing, and there's no way to tell if he did sell. He could be lying straight through his teeth. You don't know. He could be telling the God's honest truth and you still don't know. Why? Because you're not in control of the private keys. You, you are in no position to verify whether he sold or not. The only people at this point that are a able to verify whether Dave Portnoy sold or not are the Gemini twins and the people that work for Gemini. And Gemini twins, I mean the Winklevi. Just, just say that's the, who owns Gemini Exchange. Only those people know. Why? Because Dave Portnoy is, at least in this case, is dumb enough to actually hand over his private keys. That, that That's the only people that are going to know what the hell he did. So just keep, you know, keep that shit in mind. Um, let's see. Hold on for a second. There's there's a little bit extra extra news about the Dave Portnoy thing that I'm going to read you. This this comes as bullet points. I don't know why Coindesk is doing this, but they they got like a lot of stories that are just like what should be considered outlines and then a story written from the outline. But I, I, I don't know if this is a new trend in news. I, I don't know. But what I do know is that Zach Vol is doing the writing for Coindesk sometime on the 21st of August, says Dave Portnoy, the online sports celebrity founder of Barstool Sports, 
might be quitting cryptocurrency trading after buying Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies a little more than a week ago, according to a tweet published on Friday afternoon. Portnoy led his army of day traders into the cryptocurrency world after Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss, founders of the Gemini Cryptocurrency Exchange, explained Bitcoin to him on August the 13th. That's like, what, a week ago? <laughs> As of Friday, and after losing $25,000, however, Portnoy told his Twitter followers, I currently own zero Bitcoin. The bellwether cryptocurrency actually gained more than 7% in the days following Portnoy's broadcasted purchase. At last check, BTC is still up 1% from the daily open on the day of Portnoy's meeting. Link, however, dumped 30% since Portnoy signaled his bullishness for the coin, tweeting, Link to the moon. Another alternative cryptocurrency, Orchid, has also dropped by 28% since Portnoy tweeted about his position in that. Trading cryptocurrency just isn't easy, explained Anil Lula, former analyst at Bloomberg and co-founder of cryptocurrency research firm Delphi Digital. The market is a bit more sophisticated than it was in 2017. You've seen a shift where capital has been flowing to projects with some fundamentals instead of just good marketing and buzzwords. Dismissing his losses, Portnoy responded to a fake Tyler Winklevoss account that expressed disappointment in the celebrity trader's decision to sell Link by saying, I made, I make six figures a day like clockwork in the real stock market. No need to sit around losing money waiting for Elon Musk to mine gold from outer space. <laughs> the possibility of mining gold on asteroids was a value proposition for investing in BTC pitched to Portnoy by the Winklevi. Quote, having a long-term fundamental view helps deal with short-term volatility, said Ryan Watkins, Bitcoin analyst at Missouri and former investment banking analyst at Moellis & Company, referring to trading cryptocurrencies in a private message with Coindesk. Because everyone looks like a genius in a bull market, though, Lula said he wouldn't be surprised to see Portnoy eventually have some fun and post some headline-grabbing gains. Dude, $100,000 a day in the stock market by day trading is complete bullshit. And he knows that you know it's bullshit. And he's also hoping beyond all hope that he suckers a whole bunch of people who think he's actually serious. He's not. Nobody makes $100,000 every day like clockwork on the stock market. If they did, <laughs> they sure as shit wouldn't tell you about it. I just, it's, again... Be careful with this dude, man. He's not what what he he is not what he seems. But as usual, not your keys, not your coins enshrined in U.S. case law, says a lawyer. Crypto lawyer Justin Wales sees Archer v. Coinbase ruling in favor of the digital asset custodian as more proof of not your keys, not your coins. Alexander Barons writing this one for Decrypt.co sometime on August the 23rd. Crypto lawyer Justin Wales has used a recent California court ruling to drive home how important the notion of not your keys, not your coins can be. In a recent Twitter thread, crypto lawyer Justin Wales outlined recent analysis from Justia in the Archer v. Coinbase court case. Wales, co-chair of Car Carlton Fields Virtual Currency Practice Group, said the court's decision elevates to case law the crypto adage, not your keys, not your coins. In other words, if Bitcoin or other digital currencies are stored in a wallet with private keys that you don't control, just about anything can happen to them and the law cannot protect you. In the case, plaintiff Daryl Archer sued Coinbase for breaching their user agreement after the company refused to provide him with Bitcoin gold generated in a fork of Bitcoin. 
Archer had 350 Bitcoin stored on Coinbase at the time of the fork, which would have generated Bitcoin gold worth approximately $159,000 at its peak value. As an aside, I checked, its peak value was like something like $456 for Bitcoin gold. I didn't even see that part. I mean, I, I just, by the time I got my Bitcoin gold, hold on, I never actually have claimed it. Okay. By the time the day became evident that I would be able to, if I so chose, to claim Bitcoin gold, I didn't even look at the price. And I, I continued to not look at the price. I, compl- I never knew the Bitcoin gold got up to damn near 500 bucks a coin, which is freaking ridiculous, but there it is. Anyway, Archer had handed control of his Bitcoin over to Coinbase. And as Wales pointed out, accessing your forked coins is only guaranteed if you hold your private keys. The California First Court of Appeals found Coinbase user agreement created no obligation to hand over the Bitcoin gold. Coinbase cited a number of reasons for not supporting the Bitcoin gold fork and the way it had supported forks like Bcash in the past, including the inability to review the closed source Bitcoin gold code. The significance of such a ruling was not lost on Wales, who noted other jurisdictions around the United States are likely to follow California's lead when it comes to digital asset custody battles. Quote, if you choose to let somebody hold your keys, the case reinforces how important it is you read the user agreement and understand what it is that you are actually agreeing to, Wales told Decrypt. Quote, for Archer, Coinbase had complete discretion on what forks to offer. This is significant since Bitcoin and other crypto are evolving and we don't know what type of forks will be created for that reason or what will ultimately gain significant market share. Not your keys, not your coins is typically used in reference to crypto exchanges or third-party investment managers that, though through through carelessness or malice, have on occasion lost millions in user funds to exploits or theft. And even though Coinbase is trusted by millions of crypto users, and it shouldn't be, it's undeniable that even in the best of hands, sending crypto to wallets you don't control can lead to missing out on potentially sizable gains. So what did it all mean? Well, you, he, he couldn't get this particular shit fork of Bitcoin, which, I mean, I, I didn't give a shit. I mean, I, 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 I think Bitcoin gold is trading at around 10 bucks a coin right now. Totally not worth my time. It's not worth my time. I'd have to move my Bitcoin off of my wallet, okay? And then onto another wallet and then go back to the original wallet that it came from and then go ahead and do all the shit that needs to be done on, you know, treasure, Trezor, Ledger, uh, to be able to access the Bitcoin gold. You don't want, if you're going to do this shit, don't do it with your Bitcoin on your wallet. Send your, your, send your Bitcoin somewhere else. And once you do that, it's relatively safe. And then you can go back to your original wallet and, and do the tinkering that it's going to take to get all of your shit forks honestly though i just don't see how it's worth the time and on it and further honestly it seems to me like i don't i don't like moving my coins around if i don't have to it's just like the 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 less that i touch bitcoin for me right now the better which is one of the reasons why i've really enjoyed using the ln strike app and people who offer invoices via BTC Pay Server. I even got into it with Novak because I'm like, dude, I want to buy a cold card. You know, we're going to have Wumbo channels like on everything pretty damn soon. Come on, man. And he wrote, wrote back and he said, you know, I just don't want to dick with it. You're either going to buy my shit on an on-chain transaction or you're not going to buy my shit. I totally respect that. Although 
it's really fun paying with paying with uh, LN strike via BTC pay server, just because every single time that we do that, we are screwing uh BitPay <laughs> or well, I can't remember is it BitPay or BitGo. I can't remember. It's one of those companies that's a shitty, shitty Bitcoin company. I don't even consider them a Bitcoin company anymore because they were on the wrong side of the Segwit 2X block size debate debacle. They tried to get us to do something and we told them to shove it up their ass with the user activated soft fork and they backed down. I have no, absolutely zero, zero respect for these people. So, you know, fuck them. Anyway, that's going to do it for the morning roundup. Daily train wreck brought to you by Liam A. Heron or Liam Aharon, I guess is how you pronounce it. Uh, this was written yesterday. Uh, God, a critical bug was left in the at open Ethereum org stable release for months. Today, they tell node operators to downgrade to a release from 2019. Downgrading so far requires resyncing from scratch which for some node configurations will take months. Oops. God, somebody put this shit chain to bed. It's just, all, all this thing does is cause problems. It's all it does. It's, you don't know the supply. Now 12, almost 13% of all the nodes are going to have to resync. All the nodes that support Ethereum that we know about are are basically a parity node. And that's what this is talking about is that there's this critical bug that's been found and it's been there since, what do you say? Uh, it's for months. It's been in the stable release for months. It's just a bug chilling out there. And it's critical. It's not like it's a meh kind of bug. No, it's a this shit breaks everything bug. And now 13% of the Ethereum a parody or actually not parody all the parody nodes need to go down and they need to backroll themselves to a state that was uh, available in 2019 and then they have to resync the chain so that they can guess what wait until the bug is fixed and then upgrade and then even then possibly have to resync the whole chain this takes a month minimum and that's even if you're successful so 13% of the network of Ethereum just went by. Have fun with that smoldering pile. Oh, terrible joke corner. Got a short one for you today, but I love it. I often worry about German sausages. Basically, I fear the worst. That's dad says jokes if you can't figure that one out. So it just so happened that I just was kind of interested in the situation and said, you know, is it possible that somebody could have a sausage phobia? You know, I mean, scared of something that's like so inconsequential as sausages. And I shit you not, dude. Lucanicophobia is the fear of sausages. Lucanicophobia. I, I don't even know where they get these words anymore. Anyway, so 
as you heard at the front of the show, um, I somehow or another ended up starting something on Twitter for the auditing of the Bitcoin blockchain. Sorry. Sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Um, but it's going to be good. I think it's going to be good. I think it should be actually an annual event, you know, or actually probably not even annual. We should probably do it quarterly, just like everybody audits the whole damn you know, Bitcoin blockchain. Um, but we're going to go head to head with uh, Ethereum. Now the Ethereum crew, Understand this, the Ethereum, I mean, Vitalik Buterin in the Samson, Ma uh, Samson Mo discussion with uh, old Peter McCormick on what Bitcoin did. Now, Vitalik said he took up the challenge. He, he verbally said that they would do it and he'd like look into it as to, you know, what was going to be a good date, what, you know, would be a good block height number. Anyway, we, we've selected ours at 650,000 block number. 650,000 is going to occur on September the 23rd. So, or somewhere in the ballpark, you got to remember we're on block time, right? Not freaking quantum computer time. Um, anyway, as to whether or not they actually do it, and all that's up to them. We, we, we don't have any say as to whether or not they're going to do that, right? So just be aware, uh, but we're going to do it. I mean, I'm I'm going to participate. I I want on the, the I want the exact same number of Bitcoin from hundreds of users around the world in so many different countries, all at one time, verifying a singular block and having all the numbers match. I mean, that would be one of the most. Inc no bank has ever done it. No central bank has ever done it. The IMF can't do it. Fucking the BIS or the oh, oh God, what is it? Augustin Karsten's outfit, the central bank of the central banks, the BIS, they, they can't do shit like this. They cannot do this. Nobody but us can do this. So take part in it. It's not only a not your keys, not your coins. It's, it's a not your audit, not your chain. I, you know, I mean, I don't know how else to put it, honestly, but again, September 23rd or thereabouts, we are going to audit the Bitcoin chain. It, hopefully will end up being the single largest audit of the Bitcoin blockchain supply that has ever occurred. And it's going to be a thing of beauty, but only if you participate. That said, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.